The following study is a Wednesday night lesson given by Pastor Brett Metter at Athe Creek Christian Fellowship. We're in Isaiah. Would you turn to Isaiah chapter 7 tonight as we continue verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. The year is 734 B.C., 734 years before Jesus the Messiah would come. And that's important because Isaiah, the book, is one book that is very messianic. That is, it tells us a lot about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And uh, we really get to see that uh, in its full glory tonight in chapter 7. We're going to see Isaiah start to uh, talk to the people of those local times, prophesy to the people of local times. But there's times where Isaiah's gaze goes past you know, seven, you know, 734 BC and goes all the way to the Messiah um, when Jesus the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of a virgin and grow up and eventually be uh, despised, rejected, and, and beaten and crucified on a cross um, and uh, led like a lamb to the slaughter. These are all themes that Isaiah will prophesy concerning the Messiah for the world, uh, not just for the Jews. So we'll see a bit of that tonight. It's kind of exciting to get into this chapter for that reason. But we, we have to understand there's a local uh, application of this, and then Isaiah tends to look past that. So it's a little tricky sometimes to know when Isaiah is talking about, you know, the times that, that he's alive in versus the times where he's moving forward. But you'll, you'll get a sense. You'll get a sense for this. Well, Brett, how, do, how are we sure? How can we just go with a sense? other scriptures. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And I'll show you how that works tonight as well. When you have questions about what's being said or the truth of something or, or how it fits, I love how the Bible uh, speaks of itself and clears up any questions or even the controversies are cleared up if you let the Bible be its own commentary. Um, and I think that's going to be evident tonight as well. So in 734, what was the deal? Well, this would be quite a bit after Uzziah died in chapter 6. Remember in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne and his train filled the temple. You remember that whole, uh, that whole thing? And then Isaiah, you know, had his lips purged in chapter 6 so that he could uh, go. And remember uh, the Lord said, who will go for us? Who shall I send? And, and Isaiah said, send me. Here am I. And so he's going as the prophet to be sent to the kings and the leaders of Israel and, um, and so Isaiah, um, here's this, this kind of ominous message. We ended last week in chapter 6 where the Lord says, you're going to go and tell them they're basically done for. Well, what if they are going to be saved? Nope, the Lord says they're not going to be saved. They're going to continue in their rebellion. And I want you just to basically go and preach that it's over. Eventually, you guys are going to be taken into captivity. Both uh, sides of Israel. And, and when I say both sides, remember... In Isaiah's time, there was the north and the south. Uh, the north was, you know, sometimes referred to as Ephraim, which was the biggest tribe in the north, and that's why they tend to call it e- Ephraim. Um, and it was, it was the northern ten tribes, really, uh, that split off from the southern two tribes. And there in the southern area, they called it Judah, or, uh, you know, uh, the, the main city there, Jerusalem. And that's where Isaiah was with this new king, uh, Ahaz, that we're going to meet tonight. We met him, of course, back in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. We met Ahaz. We'll talk about uh, a little more about him. But, um, but let's pick it up. What's going on? We've got this king who's pretty much a loser. 
<laughs> he, he's the guy that doesn't have a clue, and he does really stupid things, unfortunately. Um, let's pick it up in ch- chapter 7, verse 1. It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the son of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David. Um, The house of David is an idiom for Ahaz and his side, because remember, the kings of the south, Judah, Jerusalem, would be descendants of David. That line of uh, king would continue through to this time. So, you know, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, all relatives of David. And so he's called the house of David, Ahaz. Uh, It was told the house of David, saying, verse 2, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. What's going on? Um, It's kind of setting the stage here. Basically, it was told Ahaz, man, um, Ephraim, the the ten northern tribes, uh, Israel, as it would be called, um, they're, they're going to come and go against you. And, and uh, it says that, you know, the king, along with the king of Syria, would go up against toward Jerusalem, but they, they, did, they weren't able to prevail against Jerusalem. We did see this, by the way, in Second Kings chapter 16 in our Through the Bible study. A few years back when we were in Second Kings, we saw this very story happen. Isaiah was alive at that time, and he's writing about this. And, and then it was told, you know, Ahaz, hey, Syria is going to align themselves with Ephraim, and uh, they're going to they're come against you together. Uh, and, and when it says here in verse 7, and his heart was moved, it doesn't mean, oh, I'm just so in love. It's just moved my heart. No, it's he was moved with fear and horror. Um, it says here, interesting, as I was just showing you pictures of a cyclone blowing trees, it says here, that the heart of the people, as the trees of the wood, are moved with the wind. Um, the idea is they were horrified. They were horrified that they were about to be trounced. They just got through being besieged by those armies in Jerusalem, but they failed. And <clears throat> Ahaz, very barely, hanging by a thread, uh, prevailed against that besieging of Jerusalem, and they all went home. But the Lord is telling Isaiah, it's going to happen again, and things are not going to go so well. So, uh, um, so they're all totally freaked out. Um, interesting, because the question is, what do you do when you are told something about what could happen or what is happening or what might happen? You know, um, th- we live in a day of real fear. And, um, you know, when people talk about the coronavirus and the sickness, man, you can tell people are kind of fear. They're fearful of two main things. They're afraid... Um, for, uh, you know, loss of, of, of their jobs and, and their, their money. And also people are afraid that they might get the coronavirus and die. Uh, people are afraid right now. This is a fearful time for a lot of people. I do believe, however, the Lord gives us as Christians a, a quiet confidence, not in ourselves, not, in, not even in our uh, ability to socially distance and be safe and wash and, and all that stuff. We don't put our trust in man's devices. We, we do what we need to to be wise and to, um, you know, go with the flow of what everybody's doing. 
but at the same time, our trust is not in the, in, in the way of man. Our trust is in the Lord. I love being a Christian just because of that. We can trust the Lord's will be done. And uh, we ask the Lord to do what he would, and we can just trust him. And that's why in you know, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 7, it says, we're not to be given over to a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. That's kind of a theme for a lot of people during this coronavirus scare, trouble, trial, difficulty. Um, and so what we see here is kind of a similar deal. Ahaz potentially hears that they're going to come down again with greater alliances that the Ephraimites, the northern ten tribes, are going to come down with Syria, and uh, they're going to come and, and, and attack them, and, and they're already hanging by a thread. So this causes the people of Jerusalem and Ahaz and his kingdom to be afraid, blowing in the wind like the trees. Um, that's that's the, the scenario that we see right here in chapter 7. So verse 3 goes on and says, Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear uh, Yashuv, the son, uh, thy son. So, um, uh, and it says at the end of the, at the end of the conduit at the upper pool in the highway of the Fuller's Field. Uh, so God's going to meet with uh, Ahaz. The Lord speaks this to Isaiah, and so they go to meet him. And here's what you're supposed to say, Isaiah. It says right here in verse four, and say unto him, Take heed. And be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason with Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because of Syria, Ephraim and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Now, um, interesting word given here to Ahaz by Isaiah the prophet. In fact, it's kind of a three-part message, a little sermon. His three points, number one, take heed. Man, listen up. One of the hardest things to do when you're in trouble or in fear is to stop, pause, and listen, just to listen. Um, have you taken time in this coronavirus uh, season of fear and trepidation of our nation and the world? Um, have you taken time just to listen, to hear God? What is the Lord trying to tell you? Um, I love it. It starts with take heed. When you're freaked out, when there's threat and trouble and trial, some people, man, they just panic and they can't stop talking. They don't even come up for air. I sort of feel that way about a lot of the talking heads. Have you, have you seen how much misinformation has been out there concerning this coronavirus and some of the stuff around it? Um, you know, uh, what's that medicine that Donald Trump said, something about chloroquine or something like that? And um, he said, you know, he's hopeful that that can help people. And, and man, the media just went crazy. He said, how is it that Donald Trump's prescribing a, an untested drug? I've taken that drug going to other countries. They give it to you for malaria. It's been tried, true, and tested for years. So I remember thinking, wow, it's funny. I, I've had that. Now, then they pointed to the guy that took some chloroquine and died. And that was Donald Trump's fault. That was kind of interesting, I thought. There was the news, freaking out again. Talk, 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 talk. And, and they were saying he died because he took it. 
but they didn't mention, a lot of them, that it was actually a guy that heard that that might help, and he looked on his fish tank cleaner bottle and saw there was some of that in that fish tank cleaner. So he drinks some of his fish tank cleaner and dies. Um, That's not super brilliant. Uh, I feel sorry for the guy, but that's just dumb. Um, And so the news said, oh, Donald Trump killed that guy. I don't know if you've heard, but it's just crazy. Now, now, what's happening around the world, uh, the the top doctors in Spain and Italy and other places where Corona's hit really badly, they're actually finding that this chloroquine is actually helpful and, in fact, is a good, helpful drug. And it seems to minimize some of the side effects of the coronavirus, and it's helping people. Um, I saw an interview of a doctor last night who um, was talking about a patient who was convinced he was dying. He was, it was over, and he prescribed the chloroquine, and, and the guy suddenly, a few days later, is up and about and doing well. And then the doctor said, by the way, that was my father. And it's kind of like, bam. Uh, the, the, thankfully, there, it seems that somehow this medicine is helping. But what my point is, you hear all kinds of information all over the boards about all different kinds of things, and you don't know what to believe, uh, what's true, what's false, what are lies, what are great truths. I mean, um, that's the, the way it is right now. And, and I think instead of buzzing and chatting and freaking and talking, maybe we should just take heed. Be still and know that I am the Lord, the, the scriptures declare. As Christians, man, we need to shut off some of that chatter uh, and, uh, you know, some of the social media. Take a break. And some of the things that people are chatting up about and all freaked out about, you know, I think that one of the quiet confidence, you know, modes that Christians can be in is once they stop and listen to the Lord, they can step out of that uh, mayhem and sort of calm and cool themselves. And that's what happens to the believer. Um, This is the problem. Uh, You know, the, the word is listen, take heed, stop chatting, stop doing. See, we know a little bit about what Ahaz is doing. And I'll tell you what that is uh, in a minute, because it's not here in Isaiah, really, that tells us about that. It's actually in Second Kings that we read about that, what he was actually doing. He was busy not listening, but manipulating and doing stuff to try to figure out his problem. But he didn't take time to listen. He didn't do what Isaiah says. So number one point, he says in verse four, say to him, take heed. That's number one. Number two, be quiet. So not only to listen, but to be quiet. And if you're not quiet, you're not listening. Have you ever uh, had a conversation with someone that uh, basically, you know, you know you're talking to them, but while you're talking, they're thinking about what they're going to say next to you about what you're talking about. They're not listening to what you're saying. They're formulating their next comeback to what you're saying. And it's, it's a real waste of time to talk to someone who doesn't listen. Uh, and have quiet moments. The Bible talks about being, you know, swift to hear, slow to speak. Um, That's the biblical model. Uh, But anyway, so he's told two things so far, take heed, be quiet, and then thirdly, fear not, don't be afraid, and neither be faint-hearted. Man, don't let your heart grow faint. Don't be afraid. Now, this is amazing on so many levels to me. The fact that God is telling him to calm down, listen, be quiet, and don't be afraid is amazing, especially when you know who this guy is. Ahaz goes down as one of the biggest loser kings of Israel's history. Um, In fact, 
in 1 Kings, we read about him uh, and, and some of the evils that he did. You can jot it down in your notes. Pardon me, 2 Kings. 2 Kings 16. Let me read to you. It says, um, In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem, and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. So he didn't do the right things. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Um, That's the the northern ten tribes. He walked in their wicked ways. And it says, yea, he made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen. What's that all about? This king took his son and sacrificed his son on an altar to Moloch, this god of pagan deities of the Canaanites. Um, Chemosh and Moloch, this king uh, of Israel, was worshiping Moloch, the worst of all the worst, um, and sacrificed his own child on the arms of this overheated, incandescent red arms of Moloch. They, they had this iron god with a belly that they'd stoke a fire in the belly and the, the arms would start to glow. And then they'd sit their children on the arms of Moloch. That's what this evil, wicked king did. And um, so we see that that was his demeanor. But what was he doing? Was he being still and, and listening to God and taking heed not to be afraid? No. He was so afraid about, you know, reason and uh, Ramalia, the, the, you know, Syrians and all this stuff, that he decides to make stuff happen himself. He goes after it. In fact, let me read to you what he, what he does here in Second Kings 16 too. And some of this will be familiar if you went through the Bible with us before. It says, so Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria. Now, don't get confused. In the Bible, Syria and Assyria are two different people, two different locations. Uh, the Assyrians and, the, and Syria was bad, and they're the ones attacking, um, you know, King Ahaz here. But the Assyrians make uh, the Syrians look like Mr. Rogers. The Assyrians were a horribly vicious, brutal, horrifying, scary people. They're the ones that, that took their enemies and skinned them alive and used their skins to make furniture in their houses. Um, the Assyrians were the people that piled up skulls outside their city gates of all their dead enemies so that when you came to one of their towns, you would see piles of skulls and go, man, don't mess with the Assyrians. That just might be my head on that pile someday. (laughs) Um, It was a horrifying thing. The Assyrians were uh, a brutal, brutal people. And so what does he do? He goes to the Assyrians uh, and visits old Tiggy, Tiglath-Pileser, and what does he say? Listen, this is, this is 2 Kings 16, verse 7. Um, he goes to Tiglath-Pileser and says, I am thy servant and thy son. Man, I'm subservient to you. You're the master. You're the man. Uh, this is an Israeli Jerusalem king saying, you're over me, basically. I'm submitted to you. Um, and uh, come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria, out of the hand of the king of Israel, that rise against me. And Ahaz, how did he pay him off? How did he get him to do this? Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord, the temple, and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria hearkened to him for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus, the Syrians, and took it and carried the people uh, captive to cure and slew reason. So you say, well, Brett, that sounds like it worked. 
yeah, it worked for a minute. The problem is once you become a servant to the Assyrians, you're always a servant to the Assyrians. It would be the Assyrians who would ultimately come down and wipe out the 10 tribes of Israel and drag them off into captivity. Um, uh, It was a horrible relationship. They were aligning themselves. The Jews in Jerusalem under the leadership of Ahaz was aligning themselves up with the worst people you could. It'd be like us aligning ourselves with, you know, uh, I can't think of a great example, but, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un from North Korea. Uh, this horrible dictator, and just saying, we're your humble servants, and, and hoping that he'd protect us. Only picture North Korea being legitimately a, a world power. That'd be sort of the kind of the idea, this crazy tiglath Pilaser, And he gives them all the gold and silver, the stuff that was used to worship God. Ahaz says, yeah, whatever. We don't care about that. We're just going to use this to pay off this Assyrian king for our protection. So what, what is he doing? Instead of listening to God, listening to Isaiah the prophet, giving him the word, be quiet, listen to God, don't be afraid. Instead of doing that, what does he do? He runs off and aligns himself with tiglath Pileser the Assyrian. Stupid. You know, there's a lot of people in the Bible that were told to do certain things, but as it turns out, <laughs> it always worked out bad when people tried to manipulate and make things happen. Remember Abraham and Sarah? God says, I'm going to give to you, the two of you a son, and he's going to be the father of a mighty nation. Well, Abraham and Sarah got a little older than you'd normally uh, expect to have children. They were in their 80s when they started really talking about this. So they're like, oh, there's no way we're going to have children. But God says, nope, you guys are going to have children. But Sarah came to Abraham and said, we're too old. Abraham, sleep with my handmaid, Hagar, and have a child with him, and that will help God along. We'll manipulate the situation and it'll be that which the Lord blesses. And you know the rest of the story. Abraham sleeps with Hagar, and she has a child and names him Ishmael. And then uh, uh, the Lord says, what in the world are you doing, Abraham? I I was going to use you and Sarah to make a mighty nation. So they finally, the Lord actually does keep his promise, as he always does. And they have a child named Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob, and that became the Jews. Ishmael became the, the mighty nation of Arab people, throughout the world. Um, And there's an Arab-Israeli conflict even to this day because of Abraham and Sarah trying to help the Lord along in becoming pregnant. Big goof. I hope you're not trying to help the Lord along in your life. I see this all the time. I see people that should be being still, being silent, being trusting of the Lord, but instead they're out running around looking for ways to manipulate and fix, hook up, um, I, I see that uh, sometimes in single people who are trying to make relationships happen. Uh, so, Lord, I'm not married yet, so I'm going to make something happen. I see people doing that, and it becomes sometimes a problem. Uh, I see people do that with their occupation and with their finances, and they try to make stuff happen. When the Lord's saying, be still, don't manipulate, don't finagle, just be still. Big mistake that Abraham made, and it's also a huge mistake that uh, Ahaz makes here in 2 Kings chapter 16. So that's kind of what's going on while the Lord says in verse 4, take heed, be quiet, fear not, don't be faint-hearted. Because those two nations, he calls them smoking firebrands in verse uh, 4. Um, don't, don't worry about them. Uh, he says um, there because, verse 5, um, they're taking counsel against you. And what they're saying, verse 6, is to go up against Judah, that's Ahaz, Jerusalem, the men of Judah. 
go up against them, and what we'll do is put in a king in his place, sort of a puppet king in the place of Ahaz. And his, he's named there in verse 6, uh, Top Beal uh, is the name of the guy that they're going to put in his place. That was their plan. And they're going to come from Damascus, verse 8, for the head of Syria is, is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is uh, Redzin. And with, uh, within three score and five years, or 65 years, verse, uh, verse 8 says, shall Ephraim be broken that it be not a people. Ephraim, the Lord says, is going down. And that's what happened. Eventually, this prophecy, 65 years after Isaiah prophesies, it comes to pass, where the Assyrians wiped out the northern ten tribes, dragged them with hooks in their noses, up to Assyria and assimilated them into their culture. By the way, did you know that that uh, problem of the Assyrians, they they attacked Jews, there was a group that kind of stayed and intermixed with the Assyrians. There were Jews and Assyrians that sort of intermixed. And they became a people known much, much later as the Samaritans. Does that ring a bell? The Samaritans were half, half, the Jews, the reason the Jews hated the Samaritans is because they were considered half-breeds half Assyrian, half Jewish. And um, so the Jews hated them because of this, this story that happened hundreds of years. Remember when Jesus said, we need to go through Samaria. And the disciples were like, what are you talking about? No, no good Jew would go through Samaria. Um, but Jesus did. And remember the whole story of the woman at the well and all this stuff. There's great stories about the good Samaritan because they all thought Samaritans were just bad. Um, so uh, that's all part of this story of the Jews and the, the nations around there. But it was Ahaz who was freaking out. And uh, by the way, that, that would be his downfall, really, his using the temple gold and silver to bribe Tiglath-Pileser, the Assyrian, to be his helper. But it would be the Assyrians who'd ultimately wipe out Israel. But it would be the Babylonians that would wipe out Judah uh, in 586, quite a few years after the Assyrians would come. So hopefully we're getting a little bit of a historical perspective on what was happening during this time. So basically, uh, he's saying, man, you've got to do this. Now, check this out. Uh, verse 9, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is uh, Ramalia's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Isaiah says to Ahaz, if you will not believe, surely you will not be established. I like the way the New International Version puts it. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. <laughs> what a good word. Standing firm in your faith is what he needed to do. Ahaz would fail to do that. Because of that, it would cost him greatly. It would cost the people of Judah greatly. Um, all that to say, how are you doing with that? Uh, are you standing firm in your faith? Or are you hanging by a thread? Ahaz was manipulating, finagling, freaking, but he was hanging by a thread the whole time. But the person that listens to God and has faith, uh, if, you don't, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Boy, that's the truth. And I've, I've noticed how this coronavirus is sort of shaking out the people of real faith versus the people that are lacking in faith. And you can see it. It just kind of comes out in different ways. But I hope you're a person of faith. Some of you might say, Brett, I wished I was more a person of faith. I see a lot of you Christians happy and not freaking out and not hoarding toilet paper and um, not, you know, worried about, you know, dying even. What's the deal with you guys? Are you guys just wacko? 
Well, the answer, I think, uh, the Christians that are standing firm in their faith, man, they just have a real vibrant faith that uh, overcomes fear. And, uh, and, and how do you get faith? By the way, the Bible tells us how you get faith. Doing exactly what you're doing right now. As we go through the Bible together, as we study the scriptures, have you ever noticed your faith meter kind of goes up every time we get into scripture? I find, you know, even just teaching the Bible here on a Wednesday night, my faith just kind of goes, and I feel like, man, the Lord is right. His word is true. We don't have anything to worry about. Man, your faith bucket gets filled as we get into the word. And that's what the book of Romans says. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how your faith is built up. If you want faith, do what you're doing right now. Be a man, be a woman of the scriptures. Read the scriptures daily. Uh, devote time to reading the Bible. Um, study scripture with us here at Athe or anywhere. There's, we're so spoiled today. We've got so many good Bible teaching churches and pastors and ministries and commentaries and you know software. We are uh, inundated really with amazing resources to be students of scripture. We have no excuse uh, and, and that's how your faith is built up, man, as you get into the scriptures. I hope we're all doing that. I'm glad you're with us tonight because this should help fill that, you know, that faith bucket. Uh, and that's something you should be aware of. Well, um, I love that, that word. Now, what, what's going to happen here? So we know that behind the scenes, because of Second Kings, that Ahaz isn't going to listen to this and he's off manipulating, finagling. We know that, right? Um, but what's the Lord going to say to him? Now, this is where it gets really interesting to me. Verse, uh, f- verse 10. It says, Moreover, the, the Lord spake again to Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Now, now what's that? We know that Ahaz is freaked out, he's afraid, and he's manipulating, and, he, and he's trying to make things happen, and he's made an alliance with the Assyrians and paid them off with the gold of the temple. And here's the Lord speaking through Isaiah, saying, okay, Ahaz, I want to show you a sign. You name it, I'll do it. To ask for a sign, and I will do it. But Ahaz says something that's just curious to me. He says, nah, no thanks. What's up with Ahaz not wanting to have a sign when the Lord says, I'll give you a sign. I'll tell you what's happening. Ahaz could care less about a sign because he thinks he's got it all figured out. He thinks that I don't need a sign from you, Isaiah, you stupid prophet, because I've already fixed the problem. The Assyrians on our side, we paid them off with gold from the temple. I've manipulated the situation. I've finagled it. And I am resting on my laurels now because I've made the deal of a century. (laughs) Um, And so he's not interested in the sign from the Lord about what God was going to do. But here's the funny thing. God wants to, to reveal to Ahaz, the sinful, wicked king, something that's more glorious than you can I even imagine. You or I can even comprehend. God is going to show him a sign that is second to none in some ways. Um, and God wants to do it, but Ahaz is indifferent about it. Now, before I tell you what that sign is that God wants to show Ahaz about God's plan for the Jews and not only for the Jews only, but for the whole world, God's going to reveal something huge to Ahaz with a massive sign, but Ahaz could care less. I take away a little lesson from that. 
I believe there are people today, and, and maybe even good Christian people who love Jesus, following the Lord, but they could kind of care less about the signs God wants to show them. Um, there's an Ahaz attitude out there of being indifferent toward signs of the times that we're living, signs of, of what God's plan is for humanity. And the Bible tells us that we're not supposed to be ignorant about some of those signs of those times. Jesus said, watch, be ready. Watch the signs of the times, he told us in Matthew 24. And, and uh, Paul talked about that in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, that, man, we can comfort one another watching the signs, that, that the, the signs of the times. We won't be overtaken like a thief in the night because he wants to give us signs of the times. And Man, we've got so many signs right now, prophetically, that the Bible says in the last days, here's what it's going to look like. And then there's a long list of things, and we talk about those things in our prophecy updates. And some people in the church today are like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, it's too diversive, or too uh, divisive, too, uh, too controversial, the idea of Bible prophecy. And there's so much disagreement. We're just not going to talk about Bible prophecy. I think that that indifference toward Bible prophecy is actually an Ahaz attitude. Yeah, whatever, I don't want to see a sign. The Lord's saying, I'm going to show you signs of the days that we're living in. And a lot of the church today is saying, yeah, whatever, we don't care. Um, Don't be an Ahaz. (laughs) Uh, You know, that's a big goof. Uh, There's so much happening today. Um, If you missed last Sunday's teaching, we did a, on Palm Sunday, we did a prophecy update on just a few items that are happening even right now in our world. And man, we could talk about all kinds of other things that are signs of the times that we should be watching. So don't, don't do that. And uh, Ahaz just says, yeah, I'm not going to ask the Lord. I'm not going to tempt the Lord to have, show me a sign. He could care less. But that was a carnal, godless sort of mentality. God saying, I want to show you a sign. So check this out. Here's where the sign starts to be revealed to uh, Ahaz through Isaiah the prophet. It's verse 13. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, Ahaz the king, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God uh, God also? Ahaz, your attitude about this is wearying. I kind of feel that way. I could almost say that about some of the Christians who are like, Yeah, I just believe in, you know, you're a pre-tribber, there's post-trib, pre-trib. I'm a pan-tribber. What's a pan-tribber? Oh, it's just going to pan out in the end. That's an Ahaz attitude. I could care less, whatever. Lord's just going to work it out. However, he's going to work it out. That's what Ahaz is saying. Don't be a pantribber. I know that people think it's funny and it's a joke and all that. I think it's actually indicative of an Ahaz kind of attitude. It says, yeah, I don't care about one-fourth of the Bible that deals with Bible prophecy and future events. Um, don't, don't be an Ahaz in, in the story here. <laughs> Um, so Isaiah is saying, man, you know, you're wearying men, but you're also wearying God by having this indifferent attitude. Therefore, verse 14, here it is. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Is this a big prophecy? <laughs> is this something that is huge? that God is going to reveal to this wicked king? Yep, it's massive. And it goes way, this is again where Isaiah's gaze goes past the current situation of that story and saying, 
you know, Jerusalem and Judah, I'm going to protect you guys, and I'm not going to completely forsake you and let all of the Jews die and be assimilated by other cultures as so many others. But there's something that's going to happen to you guys long term where the Jews are going to be saved. And man, God reveals not just the time of Ahaz in 734 BC, but now he's revealing to him a sign that would be so radical, it would change the whole world forever. Um, this, this sign of a virgin giving birth, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Now, I have a buddy who's extremely intellectual, guy who knows Hebrew and Greek and all kinds of ancient languages, and really good dude. I love this dude. And we have interesting conversations, but he was making the argument that this is probably just some young girl. Um, and, and his argument is this, uh, and you'll hear people argue this, this, this isn't a prophecy about Jesus. This is just a sign to Ahaz in this time about some virgin. Um, and, and you'll see even in your newer translations, if you have a nearly inspired version, NIV, or no, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Not funny. Um, if you have a newer translation, uh, um, the, the word might be young woman. Behold, you know, I, I'll give you a sign. Behold, a young woman will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And so the Hebrew word for that is young woman. And uh, would I make that argument? Well, I would, but I'm not going to tonight. Um, um, do we really know, uh, you know, what that word is? I've noticed that ancient Hebrew is something that we're not, I, I'm not sure we can say that we know all those things for sure. But here's what I do know. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, um, uses a different word, uh, the Greek word here, that is also employed by Matthew in Matthew's gospel. Would you keep your finger here in Isaiah 7 and go with me to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, we have uh, this great and glorious description um, where uh, Joseph is, uh, you know, um, appearing, uh, the Lord is appearing to Joseph in a dream in verse 20. Remember this whole story? Mary's pregnant and Joseph's like, what in the world's going on? How did she get pregnant? Who did she sleep with? And it says, um, verse 20 of Matthew 1, but while he thought on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now this was all done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, which prophet might that be? Isaiah, saying, verse 23 of Matthew 1, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. God with us. Um, that is the author Matthew quoting from Isaiah. And, and Matthew says the word uh, for virgin, well, it's Alma in the Hebrew, which could be translated as young woman. But in, the, uh, in this Greek, it's uh, Parthenos. And Parthenos uh, is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old, Old Testament. And Matthew uses the word Parthenos, which means virgin. Ir irrefutable, undeniable, 
um, where uh, in Matthew 123, he's quoting Isaiah using that Greek word, which unequivocally means virgin. Um, and, and one thing you need to know, this is why this is important, is, um, you know, the concept of the virgin birth is a cornerstone of Christianity. You know, um, uh, it, only if Jesus was truly the Son of God could he have ever lived a sinless life, died on the cross, our substitute, and be the sufficient s- sacrifice for man's sins. Yeah, Brett, what's the deal with this virgin birth? Why was there the necessity for a virgin birth? Why are you Christians that are within the pale of orthodoxy? Why do you always say that in your creeds and what's that? Born of a virgin. Why does that have to be? Well, that's, that's important because of the proto-evangelium. The peanut butter and jellium? What are you talking about? No. The proto-evangelium is uh, in Genesis where there's this first, it means first gospel or the first mention of the gospel. And it's in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. Man fell in sin and was, just, was headed for total death and destruction because of that. And then God gives a promise. Listen to this. This is the proto-evangelium where it says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, the snake, the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Uh, Brett, that's kind of a weird verse to talk about. What's the deal with that? Well, just, just uh, as it turns out, this is the mention of what's going to happen when Christ would crush the head of the serpent on the cross. It would bruise his heel in the sense that Jesus would die on the cross for the sins of the world. But the seed of the woman, the word seed is, we think of our garden, but the word seed in the Hebrew is where the word really, it's the word sperm. You say, well, the woman doesn't have the sperm. She's got the eggs. How is it that the seed of woman will be the one that brings forth this person who's going to destroy Satan ultimately and save humanity? That's the mystery of the gospel that, that Christ would come born of a virgin. Now, some of you might say, Brad, okay, I still don't understand what the point is of being born of a virgin. Well, if you're taking down notes, jot down a few things about why the virgin birth. Number one, um, it makes Jesus a unique person. Nobody else was born of a virgin in all of the world's history. Jesus is, is, uh, is the only one who was born of a virgin. He's unique. Um, that's important. The Druze that live uh, near Mount Carmel there in Israel, they believe the Messiah is still going to be born of a virgin man. Uh, that's, that's a stretch <laughs> for, the, for the man to give birth uh, as a virgin. Uh, they, they, the, some of the Druze walk around with these big MC hammer pants um, that have this pouch in front in case they give birth to the Messiah, the, the, the pants will sort of catch the baby. Uh, you think I'm making it up? Look it up. It's, it's there. You'll see pictures of their maternity pants that they're wearing, these men that are the Druze. But they're not going to do that. The Messiah came when Jesus came, born of a virgin woman. Um, so it makes Jesus a unique person. Number two, it gives Jesus unique parents. Uh, the virgin birth um, is really fascinating because was Jesus man or was he God? And the answer is yes. 100% man, but 100% God. 100% man in that he was born of Mary. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us a little bit about that in verse 15. It says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus felt every single pain, suffering, hurt that you've ever felt. 
He's been through every detail of your pain and suffering, and he relates because he was 100% man. He grew up in a tough situation, was betrayed by his friends, was ultimately crucified on a cross. None of us can even hold a candle to the suffering Jesus went through, but he can relate to everyone's suffering on the whole planet. Um, so, so that's 100% man, but he was also born of God, 100% God. Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Listen to this. This kind of defines both. It says in Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, Now concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. In other words, in the physical, biological flesh, he was a descendant of David. But, verse 4 says, And he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He was born of the flesh, but he was also born of the Spirit uh, by the Holy Spirit, which uh, the Bible told us to Joseph that she, she was pregnant, and it was a work of the Holy Spirit, not that she had uh, romance and sexual relationships with a man. She was a virgin, and the Holy Spirit made her pregnant. Uh, um, that makes Jesus unique in not only uh, as a person, but he had unique parents. Um, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says... But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. Jesus was born of a woman, uh, which is, there was no man involved, which makes him unique uh, as uh, able to save the world from its sins. So he was a unique person. He had unique parents, which gave him, number three, unique power unique power. We sin because we are born in sin. We don't give our children sin lessons. At least I didn't. Have you ever given your children sin lessons? Okay, kids, here's how you lie. When you lie, make sure and don't let them know what you're thinking. Speak it out with confidence when you tell a lie. Don't blink. Don't look elsewhere. Look them in the eye and you just tell that big old whopper. Did you train your kids how to lie or did they, did they learn that quite naturally? See, that's the problem. Humanity has a real natural proclivity to sin. We were born in sin, uh, uh, and, and that, that's the problem. Um, we sin because we're just, we were born in sin. But, um, but our, ki- our children prove it. They very naturally move in the sinful direction. That's just humanity. But David even declared, by the way, in Psalm 51.5, he says, In sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, we were just born in sin, is the idea. But Jesus has never sinned. Jesus has never sinned. In Galatians uh, 2, verse 20, it says, um, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives within me. And the life which I now live is the flesh. I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus was the sinless sacrifice because he was not a sinner. He was the one who could die on the cross for our sins. Without that, we wouldn't have a, 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 a suitable lamb, if you would, to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. So it gave him unique power, being born of a virgin, to be uh, the one who'd save the world from its sins. So it makes Jesus a unique person. He has unique parents, unique power, but also unique purity. Um, our blood has been tainted by sin, but Jesus' pure blood washes us from sin. Man, we could camp out on that. We've done whole teachings on the blood of Christ, and uh, that's an important part of our faith. But 
um, not only unique person, unique parents, unique power, unique purity, but uh, number five, unique prophecy. It's a unique prophecy, and that's where Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, is a prophecy, and it was meant to be a sign. It was meant to be a sign for all of humanity to know that Jesus is different. Now, there's a bunch of signs we've been talking about lately that Jesus would show that would prove who he really was, the Messiah. We even talked about that on Sunday. Remember two of them. He rode in Jerusalem on a donkey. That was a sign. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on April 6, uh, AD 32. That was another sign. Daniel chapter 9, hundreds of years earlier, predicted the very day when Jesus would ride into Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem. That was a sign the Old Testament spoke of, of Jesus. Sign after sign. And then Jesus would say, you want the ultimate sign? Well, we're going to talk about that on Sunday uh, as it's Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. The resurrection is perhaps the greatest of all the signs Jesus did or gave us to prove his claim of Messiahship. So all that to say, the virgin birth is essential, essential to our Christian faith. Um, by the way, this, um, the, the, the gospel, you know, that proto-evangelium there in Genesis uh, 3.15, um, some say that's the first time the gospel was preached on the earth when that, that sentence was uttered, that the, the you know, at the head of the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's the first gospel story. Everything else in scripture flows from this verse when you think about it. The plan of God to save humanity from their sins. It's a huge thing talking about the, uh, um, the virgin birth. The great English preacher Charles uh, Simeon called this verse the sum and summary of the whole Bible. <laughs> uh, Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium. Um, and, uh, you know, although we may not see it at first glance, Christ is in that verse speaking of the one who Jesus would defeat when he went on the cross. Wow. So, therefore, the Lord, verse 14 of chapter 7 of Isaiah, man, I'm running out of time. It says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Um, the word Emmanuel is powerful and important. Um, it means God with us. And those that don't believe Jesus is God, they don't even read this, this verse. They don't see Matthew one twenty three, where Matthew hears, or pardon me, Joseph hears from God that, man, the son that you're going to have is going to be called Jesus, and he shall also be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, God in the flesh. So when I tell people Jesus is God, that means that we are seeing God with us when we see Jesus. That's why Jesus would tell the Jews, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one, Jesus would say. And the Jews knew what he was saying. They knew he was claiming to be God in the flesh, so they picked up rocks and wanted to stone him to death. But that wasn't his hour to be stoned to death, so it didn't work out for them. Um, but Jesus never denied being God. When they worshiped him as God, he received that worship. Um, when Thomas said, my Lord, you know, um, he didn't say, Thomas, I'm not your Lord. Don't bow down and worship me. No, when doubting Thomas was there, he worshiped Jesus as God and Jesus received that worship. So that's the thing we need to understand is if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father. He's, he's, he is God incarnate, God in the flesh. 
John chapter one, verse one says, in the beginning the word was, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14 of that same chapter, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. Jesus is God, Emmanuel. Huge, essential part of the Christian faith. Born of a virgin, God, Jesus is God. Those are two big ones. Um, and people that deny those two things, any one of those two, they're not part of the true Christian faith. That's within the pale of orthodoxy. It's essential doctrine of the Christian faith, that it be Jesus who is God and that Jesus was born of a virgin. Those are two of several essential doctrines. I hope you understand that. And, and this is, uh, passage in Isaiah is what you know Isaiah was trying to share with uh, old Ahaz, this evil, wicked king, but the king had no ear to hear what, what was being said. Interesting. You know, I'll close tonight with this. That's a good verse to land on. I don't want to try to race through the rest of this, but um, we only got through 14 verses tonight. Sorry about that. But, um, but I, I just have to say, that's a huge verse there in Isaiah. Massive prophecy. And yet Ahaz was indifferent toward that prophecy. Isn't that sad that this king was so busy doing his little thing with Tiglath Pilaser and stealing money from the temple and doing his own little thing by, you know, manipulating the Assyrians and all this stuff. He, he missed one of the most glorious things. He could have been the recipient of one of the greatest Old Testament prophecies, but he's kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, are you that person? Don't miss the days that we're living in. I believe the second coming of Christ. That was the first coming when he was born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. They missed it, like we learned on Palm Sunday last But we live in a unique time where we can be seeing these signs of the times that Jesus told us to watch, be ready, be vigilant, be sober. Over and over and over and over again, Jesus said, watch, wait. Don't be, Matthew 24 says, like like the wicked servant. Ah, the Lord delays his coming. And you go around partying down and doing your own thing. He says, you're gonna go to that place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But he says, be like the wise servant that's watching and ready and waiting Um, Read Matthew 24. You can't deny what the Lord is warning us about. Don't be an Ahaz. Uh, That's a good theme for us tonight, especially because I really do believe we, you and I, could be living in these last days um, where the signs of the times are prolific. We got all kinds of stuff. Um, I think I've got a prophecy update, another big one coming up. I did one last Sunday. I'll do another one here in a few weeks that I've been uh, excited to share with you some more stuff that's coming. But until then, man, may the word of God dwell in your hearts richly. May you just meditate on these truths and the truth of God's word about God becoming a man, living among us. Truths like be still and listen to the Lord during these difficult times. Um, Put your trust in the Lord. Let your faith be built by hearing the word of God and, and let the Lord show you the signs of the times that we're living. And you'll be enriched, you'll be blessed. You'll be the one that's standing and not falling because of a weak faith. Um, Ahaz was a weak failure as a king because he was not a man of real faith. Good lessons, good things to learn. In Jesus' name, let's pray. And Lord, we are thankful to be reminded of these truths from the book of Isaiah and how powerful it is, Lord, that Isaiah was able to give this powerful prophecy that even to this day is so amazing that hundreds of years, over 700 years before Jesus would 
be born in Bethlehem and come onto the scene. Isaiah was foretelling that amazing, glorious event, the first advent. And as we celebrate this week, where Friday we get to eat and drink of communion and remember you on the cross, and then Sunday we get to celebrate the resurrected Savior, our son, your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, what a, what a glorious time for us to do that. And, and in the midst of all the fear of the COVID-19 and the coronavirus and the economy tanking and all the stuff that's going on around the world, um, Lord, I pray that in the midst of that, your church would be immovable, unshakable, and that, Lord, we'd have our faith in you and that we'd put our eyes upon you. So bless your people tonight as we have taken this time. In Jesus' name, amen. To take advantage of our media ministry, we encourage you to visit us anytime at athecreek.com, where we have all of Pastor Brett's Bible studies available as a free download. 